You know, last week, TJ preached an important message of God's paradigm of training pastors and leaders worldwide and exhorted each of us by asking the question, will we be faithful to commit ourselves in investing in the lives of others to follow Christ? Will we be faithful to commit ourselves by investing in the lives of others to follow Christ? You know what, TJ spoke last week was so otherworldly. It's it's a totally different way of thinking regarding the usage of our time and our energies. Be faithful to serve others. What God has given to us is what he's saying. And you might have thought, well, I thought, wait a minute, I thought God blessed me so that I can enjoy it and, and be happy and enjoy the blessing for myself alone. Not so. Not for yourself alone. The scriptures is full of exhortation that you have been blessed in order to be a blessing. We have been blessed in order to bless others. And that realm of thinking is not prevalent for many today. In our current affluence and culture, many are so consumed with personal wants and, and personal wishes that it's easy to forget and neglect our responsibility to care for one another to the point that many really don't care to be involved in other people's lives, especially as it pertains to helping others see the love of God in Christ, to see God's goodness and patience with us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we're yet in rebellion against our God. In other words, seeing the seeing the gospel proclaimed both near and far. And so what I'm saying really reflects our priorities and our motivations. What drives you? Perhaps this is a question you need to contemplate. What drives each of you today to do what you do? What motivates you? We all have You know, we can be properly motivated to do whatever. It's amazing. But for often, for many of us, it's for for better wealth, better health, better life, better lifestyle. Um, All of those pursuits are considered normal. Being a responsible, productive citizen, providing for the needs of your family and extended family, taking care of business. And those are commendable. And we ought to encourage these pursuits. However, as followers of Christ, you realize that God has also set aside far more more extraordinary activity. And what I mean by extraordinary, extraordinary means very unusual or remarkable. You know, the past two weeks, and Lord willing, next week, our focus has been highlighting how we here at Foothill Bible Church, we, we talk about our core values, and Pastor Micah talked about those things, but that fifth core value is certainly an area of passion, personally, of developing disciples to reach the nations, sending and supporting the work of missions by sending out missionaries and, and church planters and, and training leaders 
has been an integral part of Foothill Bible Church. Do you know over 20% of our entire fiscal budget goes to support these outreach ministries? And by God's grace, when we look back historically, by God's grace, Foothill Bible Church has ordained and sent and support at least a dozen men and women, including Promise here, to full-time vocational ministry in, the, in a 27-plus year ministry uh, here in the church. And when you add the ministry partnerships, such as what we've highlight, highlighted just a few minutes ago, we can collectively praise God for the privilege of participating in this extraordinary endeavor. But perhaps you are new here to Foothill Bible and, and wondering what motivates, what motivates this church to do such extraordinary activities? And it's a great question. All of us in this room who love Christ are the recipient, and listen to this, all of us in this room who love Christ are the recipient of someone who did an extraordinary act by bringing forth the good news of Jesus Christ to you. Think about that. Think of that person who opened the scriptures, who helped you to understand, to explain the scriptures. That's an extraordinary act. Why? Because that person took the time and care to open God's revealed word of salvation, of the character of God, about your own condition before a holy God. And they took the time to explain that. And because you heard this good news called the gospel and responded in faith, the Apostle Paul tells us, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That is amazing. In other words, when God impressed upon your friend or your family member to share and explain about this extraordinary God who loved you, Despite your rebellion and sin, this God who sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place, to ransom you and gave his life in exchange for yours, that you might be made right before the holy God. That same spirit compelled your friend or your family member or your pastor or Bible teacher to preach that good news to you. And it caused others to be motivated as well to, to step out in faith, to speak those extraordinary truths that we've been carrying on for the past 2,000 years. Well, open your Bible or open your personal copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to... It's page 1137. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in front of you. And, and if you don't have a copy and you'd like to keep a copy, you may take that copy as a gift from, from us to you if you don't have a copy of your own. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that's page 1137, verse 16. And let me provide some context of this passage. 
See, the Apostle Paul planted the church in Corinth during his second missionary journey, and that's found there in Acts 18. But, but what was happening is that pride and, and sexual impurity led to divisions within the church. So he's writing to the church in Corinth with the overall theme of correction. And this early church was losing its moral bearings and forgetting its purpose and mission. And Paul writes to the church and, and is responding to questions that are raised to him from a previous letter that he sent. He answers their questions regarding marriage, divorce, purity, lawsuits, remarriage, and immorality. And many in the church were motivated like many churches today, many in the church were motivated to live, uh, live for themselves and they're flaunting their freedoms. In chapter 8, Paul basically is saying that just because you have these freedoms and privileges, it doesn't mean you can flaunt your liberties to others. And Paul tells the church that despite many rights and privileges, he refuses to take advantage or be rewarded Paul gives us insight that has been a foundational motive and, and he really sets a precedence. And so let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm kind of jumping into the middle of his thoughts, but bear with me as we read this together. For if I preach the gospel, that, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me! If I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I may save some. I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Father, even in the next few minutes, I ask that you would Help us to understand what Paul is writing and how does it even apply to us. Father, speak to us by your spirit. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this morning, we're going to look at three motivations 
why the Apostle Paul was willing, why he was willing to do an extraordinary thing for God so that we may consider to do likewise. You see, Paul was motivated by the entrustment of the gospel. And you find that there in verse 16 to 18. He says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. If, but if not of my own will, I am in, I still entrusted with a stewardship. You see, the gospel was given to him by God. He didn't pursue God. I would say we didn't pursue God. He didn't pursue the gospel. God pursued him. See, Paul was not seeking God in Christ. We find that in, in Acts chapter 9, Luke the historian uh, gives an account, and it says that in, in Acts chapter 9 that Paul, his, his original name was Saul, he had totally different intentions and motivations. Paul, Luke records that Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, as he records this in Acts 9, and he asked them for letters to the synagogues at, at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was the name of the early believers, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, he wanted to arrest them and, and incarcerate them. So Paul had nothing to do with the true God in Christ, but rather he sought to eliminate these followers. We read later, Luke records in Acts chapter 22, and Paul explains about what he, his motives were. He says in verse 3 that, in Acts 22, that I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Luke continues with the account detailing how Paul was confronted by God, and he received this special revelation. And many years since that time passed, Paul was able to reflect back on that extraordinary event. And he wrote to the church in Galatia, and he says there in Galatians 1, 15, he says, but when God had, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, preach Jesus among the Gentiles. See, Paul was set apart before he was born. That speaks of God's intentional purpose. Reminded of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah 1 tells us of the same, that the prophet says that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It wasn't a matter of Jeremiah or Paul choosing God, God chose him, setting him apart. And, and when Paul writes there in Galatians 1, he's saying, I was, I was set apart before I was born. I was called by God's grace. And then I, God revealed his son, 
his son Jesus to Paul. For what purpose? What purpose was he revealing Jesus to Paul? In order that Paul might preach Christ among the Gentiles. So bottom line is that it was not Paul's plan, but God intervened. What motivated Paul was the recognition that he received much mercy. And for him to not declare what God in Christ had done, he says in verse 16, for necessity is laid upon me. It was not just his loving desire for people, but it was a a complete obligation, a necessity. It says, because if Paul didn't preach that gospel, he says, woe to him. Meaning, he just would not be at rest. And I I think of Jeremiah the same way. There's a passage in Jeremiah, in, in Jeremiah 20, where Jeremiah says the same thing, that there in my heart, it's found in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, that there in my heart, as it were, burning, there's a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in. I cannot. And that's the same sentiment that Paul had. Woe is me if I I don't preach this gospel that I was set aside, that I was appointed for, I I can't sleep. I, I, I must, I'm obligated it's a necessity for me. But Paul goes on to say there in verse 17, follow with me, okay, in in verse 17 there, chapter 9, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. In other words, Paul is saying, not only am I a recipient of something that has been placed into my care, that's what he means when he says stewardship. I'm not, it's not only out of necessity, but there is a sense of stewardship, a responsibility that I have been placed with. Paul uses that same type of language and that idea that he has been entrusted. We know that because he writes that in, in Galatians 2, verse 7, that I've been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews there. He says in Colossians 1, 25, that I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. You see, what I'm trying to say is Paul was only doing what was required of him as a steward. He was just only doing what the master commanded him to do. And you're going, okay, I get it, Art. My question to you is, do you see this principle being applied for us? To you? You may say, well, God didn't intercede me, you know, and, and spoke to me directly, but he has. See, he gave you, when somebody did this extraordinary event of bringing forth the word of God to you, That is direct revelation. God speaking through his word to you. And when you were able to understand, God's spirit was able to open your eyes to understand and believe. So do you feel that sense of entrustment upon yourselves? That you who've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, you who have been entrusted with something that is so special, 
Do you feel the sense of weight, a sense of responsibility? Do you see your life as God's entrustment upon you with a treasure? You are a recipient of the word of life that you've been, that's been preserved for you through, you know, to get the word of God. And I was thinking of promise a few weeks ago, sharing about getting the word of God to the Tongwa peoples. We have it in the English language in how many versions? Many, okay? Many versions. So if you don't like the English Standard Version, then you find uh, the King James or New King James or the Amer- New American. We have so many versions. You are without excuse, you in this room. But do you see it as a treasure? Do you see that entrustment? Why do I bring this all up? Because when you pause and consider your condition before God, prior to someone doing this extraordinary thing of sharing the gospel to you, the scripture declares, what does the scripture declare prior to you receiving this extraordinary gift? You know Because the scriptures has declared that you were dead in your trespasses and sin. How do I know that? Because Paul writes that to other believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and following. That you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were you in which you once walked following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of us. That is, that was, hopefully I can say that was, your condition. I hope that is not your current condition. But that was your condition, until an extraordinary event took place. Someone sensed that's a responsibility of sharing this extraordinary gift of the gospel to you. Paul had that burden that I must. Woe is me if I don't. May you feel that same sense of urgency. Woe is me if I don't. Because what, what is their condition? Think about, put a face Think of a name. It should put tears to your eyes to think of someone. Could be even family members, kin, where you just realize they are in, they are in darkness. And I can't just help but think, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. That's the beauty of what we have to pronounce. And that is an extraordinary thing to do, to declare that. But that was one motivation Paul had, okay? That was the, the sense of entrustment of the gospel. But he had a second motivation, the expectation of salvation from God. Expectation of salvation from God to peoples of all backgrounds. And you find that in verses 19 to 23. Paul was motivated 
He was motivated by this expectation that God was going to save people through his preaching. Paul did not believe at all that he can actually change someone's heart to believe for salvation. But it was his confidence. Listen to me. It was his confidence upon the power of the word of God preached. Not about his ability, his own persuasive abilities. How do I know that? Well, because Paul wrote earlier in 1 Corinthians there. He wrote in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And he continues on, and he says there in verse 24, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's amazing, because Paul continues on and says there in verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because Paul recognized that he was set apart by God to preach the gospel, he had every, he had every right to receive some compensation or financial support for preaching the word of God. But he, he declares he chooses to be a servant, a slave, for, what, for one purpose. And it was to see people whom he's in contact, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. See, he, he says he uses three, three words to describe the process of how he was going to do that. And it was that expectation of salvation he had. He says he uses the word win five times there. You see there, in verses 19 to 23, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win some of them. He says in verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order what? To win Jews. He says that to those under the law I became as one under the law that I might what? I might win those under the law. To those outside the law in verse 21, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That why? That I might win those outside the law. And fifth, he says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And then he says, then he goes on and says, he uses the expression, to save some. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Paul, no doubt, believes that God has appointed some by changing their hearts and affections. And none of us, none of us know, since we cannot read hearts, even when you go and share about Jesus, you don't know what God is doing. Um, we, Paul knew he didn't have the ability to change a person's heart. He couldn't. His, he didn't have persuasive speech. Neither do you. Okay? Don't for a minute think that you can change a person's heart, even your children's heart, as much as us parents try. 
we think that, you know, if I just tell them, they will listen. Uh, and you'll find that uh, you'll be tested on that. But, uh, but Paul says that he's trusting in what he is preaching that it'll bring forth salvation. He, Paul goes on and says another expression there in verse 23. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Once again, Paul's not saying that he's doing the actual work of salvation, but he becomes a fellow partaker of blessings from God. Let me just say, isn't that the case for you? You and I, when we share the gospel, the word of God, when there's a, re a positive reply, um, there's, there's a sense of satisfaction to know, wow, God is doing a work, and you, you, you rejoice in that. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's just like, hello, anybody there? And, you know, and you're, you're just pouring out your heart to someone you care about. You're pleading with them. You, you're, you're, you're just, you, you want to you speak to them, but sometimes they, they don't respond. Sometimes you don't respond, right? I mean, and, and you just have to entrust that to God. It is not by my persuasive power, but it's by your spirit that works in. But I want to remain faithful to, to proclaim there. And that's what Paul is doing. That I may, I, I, I'm doing it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Because when a person does turn and he's trusting that God, God is using Paul to win Jews, to win Gentiles, he was set apart for the Gentiles. When they do, he knows that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So when you read the book of Acts, when you read Paul's activities of reaching to whomever he was facing, it's amazing. You see there in Acts chapter 16 and 18 and, and 21, it was to the Jews. In chapter 20 and in 21, it was to the Gentiles. To the weak and working poor Christians. He was a tent maker. We find that in Acts 18. Paul later writes in Romans 1.16 that he's not ashamed of the gospel why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and to also to the Greeks or to the Gentiles. And we must remember that Paul was only, limit, <clears throat> was only imitating really the life of Christ because that's what Christ did for us when he, when he lived among sinners, when he was a friend of sinners, when Jesus received a a drink and interacted with a Samaritan woman, the person you're not supposed to be associated with. When Jesus was just a good citizen to say to pay taxes and be that good citizen, he was Paul was just imitating what Jesus had modeled. He didn't get to see that personally, but he heard about Jesus' life but by being a model of not only good works, but then bringing forth the good news. So when we talk about missions or the Great Commission, or evangelism, or sharing the gospel, there is an anticipation, if not an expectation, that people who hear, they will respond. And people will believe, resulting in people being saved. That's what we're doing. We're, we don't know for sure how that's going to work, or when that's going to work. We just are believing because God words, 
declares that. Go and make disciples. Go and tell to the nations. We are, we are commanded. We have a duty. We have a responsibility. And we're just trusting them for the results. As I said earlier, we can't save people. We can't do that change of hearts. Paul wrote that earlier in chapter 1 when he said that the word of, of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is, it is the power of God. And that's why his confidence and that sense of wanting to do that extraordinary thing, he had an expectation. So not only was there a sense of entrustment, there was an expectation that people are going to turn to Christ. You know, when we support uh, missionaries, we are, support, we are trusting that that missionary will recognize and know their audience whom they're ministering by learning the language, the culture, and servants. Uh, and and they, they do it as, as Paul says there, in 1 Corinthians 9 there, in verse 23, I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I, I'm doing it and just waiting and seeing and trusting. It's like planting a seed and just trusting it. God, I, I may plant it, someone else will water it, but God causes that growth. And that's the exciting part to part. And that's the exciting part for us as a body. When we support the, the efforts to make Christ known, we are just part of a bigger process and that is an extraordinary work so our motivation as a church is the belief that we should invest financially and prayerfully in such endeavors that seeks to expand God's kingdom one person one people group at a time through the translation through the preaching through the training and making disciples to the ends of the earth and that is an extraordinary endeavor but by way of personal challenge, what are you doing? And I, I have to drive it back to not just what Foothill Bible Church is doing, but what are you doing personally to win others for Christ? How motivated are you to do this extraordinary activity of proclaiming the gospel? Do you believe that people will be saved as a result of you preaching Christ? Well, Paul believed in, in the entrustment that he was given to him, the expectation, but he had a third motivation. That, and I, sticking with the ease, the eternality of the reward from God. And that's found there in verse 24 to 27. The eternality, eternality that means eternal, okay? Um, and, and what's at stake here is that it's eternity in view, okay? You know, last week, there was a big event uh, recalling the life of one man in particular who excelled in the sport leading to several championships. And it, if you enjoy the game of basketball, you know who I'm talking about. There's something to be admired about one who works hard and excels. And the Apostle Paul could certainly understand the type of dedication. You see, in the city of Corinth, only a few miles away from uh, was this popular game called the Isthmian Games. It was similar to the uh, the Olympics, and it was one where uh, the top winners received a, a wreath to show off their 
their accomplishments, their victory. And Paul acknowledges that motivations for reward will cause men to make tremendous sacrifices. And that's no different today. We all understand that in order to win a prize, there's a level of commitment. And so Paul uses two athletic examples there. He uses the example of the runner, since they keep their eye on the finish line. Their goal is ahead of them. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? Found there in verse 24. But only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. And he goes on in verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. But he uses the example of the boxer as well, since that sport requires being purposeful, being precise in your hitting, and, and you're hitting your opponent, and, and it takes great skill. I, and he says, I do not box as one beating the air. Remember, preparation is critical. And Paul trains his mind, he trained his body. For what purpose? Paul says that every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, like a championship. But we do it for an imperishable, something that is much more everlasting, much more eternal. And Paul helps the reader understand that all of us are motivated by either that which is temporal or that which has eternal value. I'm reminded of this missionary, William Carey, and, and um, Pastor Micah had, had quoted a great quote that expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That was, William Carey was the father of modern, uh, modern missions, and he was sent out from England to serve in the great land of India. But he's known for another quote that has really struck me, and, and it pertains to this understanding of, of, with an eternal perspective. He says, I'm not, quote, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Think about that. What motivates you to do extraordinary things? Does it have everlasting value? Paul was motivated to do extraordinary things. He saw the entrustment that was given to him. He saw the expectation that it was going to bring forth salvation. He saw that it had eternal consequences. You know, when we send missionaries out, it's, it's grueling. It, whether it's near or far, it's grueling because it takes all your heart, mind, soul, and strength to learn languages, to adapt to the culture, the peoples, the smells, the tastes. Uh, and, uh, and then you get opposition you get disappointed, you get betrayed, you get, there's all kinds of things. And, and the, uh, the common question that anyone who's involved in ministry, and many of you, whether you're in vocational ministry or not, sometimes you do ask the question, is it worth it? it re is it really worth it? And I remember one missionary challenging me with this thought, that that's the wrong question to ask. The question is not, is it worth it? The real question is, 
Is he worthy? Is Christ worthy? I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I want to succeed with something that has eternal value. And I trust that you as well will see the value that it's because he is worthy because of what God has done in Christ for you. If you understand your condition beforehand, when, when someone took that extraordinary event of, of revealing the word of God, would you do the same to someone else? Would you support those endeavors to do that extraordinary work of supporting those who would go to, to the ends of the earth? We do expect great things from God. Why? Because he has done great things for us. But may it be said of each of you in this room that you would attempt great things for God because he is worthy. It's not a question of is it worth it? Is he worthy? And I just close with that because as we come to the table, as Micah will lead us there, that's what it's all about. Is Christ worthy? So let me just close in prayer. Father, thank you for even impressing upon us our great salvation. For you have delivered us, you rescued us from our awful condition. And so we would ask that you would help us to elevate our thoughts Godward with eternity in view, knowing that that what we want to be known is doing extraordinary things because you did an extraordinary work on our behalf in Christ. Thank you for this time now, in Jesus' name. Amen.